And for the rest of us, we're going to be finishing up our series this morning entitled Church 101 as we're uh, considering the way that Christ built his church. Uh, And just so you know, this morning I'm going to be doing something a little different than typical. This is going to be a little bit less sermon and a little bit more teach, all right? This is just one of those topics that I think lends itself to just taking some time to study together, all right? And it's, I would say it's extremely rare. Have I ever done this? Extremely rare that we would take time kind of away from a sermon and, and be more on the, the teaching side. By the way, the difference between preaching and teaching, teaching is, is towards the mind. Preaching is towards the heart, towards application, towards our affection with God, right? Um, now, hopefully, as you preach towards the heart, it's through the mind. You're not trying to skip the mind, but you're aiming, you're aiming for the heart, right? But there's just, there's just some, some important, I think, information for us to go through, to talk through this morning. Uh, and so uh, if, you, if you've got outlines, and I do apologize, I think we ran out of outlines before everybody. Uh, Judy has an extra. If you would like it, you may have it. Just raise your hand. And Timothy is going to deliver it to you. So raise your hand if you need an outline. And first come, first serve. Oh, turn around, Timothy. It's right there. There we go. Great. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so we're going we're gonna to talk through deacons. And as I've mentioned before, we're talking this through because we're going to be introducing some candidates to be deacons in just a couple of weeks. And so we're, we're picking up on the definition I gave you last week. Deacons are qualified men and women that serve the local church. Now, if you've been here for a while, you would know that that's actually a change from what we have done historically. Historically, uh, we have only acknowledged men as deacons in Mercy Hill. And we have shifted on that and are now acknowledging that both men and women can serve as deacons in the local church. And I think this, the reason I wanted to take time to really teach on this is it's pretty rare that there's a shift in theology. And I wanted just to take the time to talk through kind of how did that happen and, and to bring you along with what we see in Scripture. Um, you know, these things are, are very uh, kind of individual. It's, it's unique to Mercy Hill Community Church. Um, Adam, Sean, and I served as elders for many years together, and we've talked these things through for years together. Uh, and for a long time, Adam and I both were at the conviction that the scriptures only allowed men to be deacons, and Sean always patiently disagreed with us. <laughs> uh, these things happen kind of behind the scenes on the eldership. You talk things through, and then you, you know decide what we're going to do, and we all support that, right? Um, well, as you know, Adam left a little while ago, and I began to study and I really was the one that shifted my position on this. And so it's appropriate that I'm the one that can kind of teach about it and can tell you kind of how I worked through this. Um, so here's, here's the big concern that I would have when we talk about uh, this particular topic, I guess. One is that we do whatever we're doing, we're going to build it on God's Word. We want to be faithful to Scripture, and we acknowledge that culture is pushing very hard on issues of gender, right? 
And, and so, okay, we've got to really think about this. So, so the first goal is we, we want to we stand firm against a kind of cultural current and stand firm on God's word. But the second is, that doesn't just mean, therefore, let's take the most uh, limiting case as possible and just not have women deacons. Because on the other side, we really want it to be that everyone called to serve in a given role can serve. And that however God has gifted you to serve, that this is a church where you'd be equipped and, and released to do that. And so, you know, if we're, if we're saying more than God said and limiting women from serving, and he called them to serve as deacons, that would be a problem as well. So there's problems on both sides, and we're just wanting to not fall into those, right? So, um, so I'm just going to kind of walk you through... Uh, this. If you've got the outline, you can follow the first point, men and women in culture. Men and women in culture. Uh, you don't need me up here to tell you that things are going on uh, as, as really comes to the view of women within our broader culture. Um, you know, when I thought about this, I actually thought it, it's really easy to stand up at a pulpit and just just beat the culture to death, you know, to talk about how bad of a culture that we live in. And I just thought to say, you know what? There are some good things about our culture uh, with regards to their view of women that it would just be appropriate to say, um, yeah, the, the culture has, by the grace of God, righted very many historic wrongs. If you doubt this, consider the plight of women in Afghanistan right now and consider whether under... American rule, given all the problems that we have, whether women weren't in a more biblically appropriate place then or if they are now. And I think we would say, oh man, uh, it, was, it was much better for them before we, we pulled out. Um, so just to, just to recall that it wasn't long ago that women had no legal rights it wasn't long ago that there was no legal protection for women. It wasn't long ago that women were forbidden from being educated, even in colleges in the United States, even in secular fields. It wasn't long ago that there was a kind of stiff cultural view of what femininity looked like that forced a conformity with that cultural view. I'm not trying to say that that cultural view was entirely wrong. It wasn't entirely wrong. There was some good stuff to it, but we can acknowledge it went beyond scripture. And so, you know, it was like a sin for women to work outside the home and, and these kinds of things that uh, scripture does not say that, right? And so the change from that kind of, you know, stereotype has also been good. So I just want to say that the feminist movement even has righted some wrongs in our culture. However, it's also wronged some rights. It's also uh, gone too far on some things to the point now that the, the idea that men and women are different is very controversial, right? The idea that there is even such a thing as men and women, and if you've been with us in our Every Square Inch class, you know that the blurring between men and women is just kind of nonstop. This is something that the culture is about doing. 
And what I've observed in what I think is good, right? I think, you know, those pushing this in the culture, I think they, they want something that they think is good where men and women are treated equally. It's good that men and women are, are treated equally. But so often what I see being uh, celebrated in our culture is not feminine women, but masculine women. And there is this, you know, th- this room for like this precious servant, Elizabeth Elliot, right? Who, whose husband was killed on the mission field and she went back to the people that killed her husband and preached Jesus to them. Godly, wonderful woman. Ladies like that, in that kind of strong biblical femininity are forgotten and Captain Marvel is the thing. And it's interesting because Captain Marvel really exhibits all the strengths of manhood, not of womanhood. And what I I mourn to see is our culture being taught that the best women are those who are most like men. And yet that is what it seems to be the culture is doing as it blurs these distinctions. So there has been, as you know, kind of a tidal wave of feminism coming across our culture for decades after decades. Um, We just want to be aware of that. And I'll tell you, that that positions me as a pastor with my heels a little bit dug in. When I approach the text and I'm aware of where culture is, I don't want to get pushed downstream by the culture. That's, That's how it has impacted me. And I think it's wise for us to know we all come to our Bibles, but we don't come neutral to our Bibles. We come as enculturated people who are thinking the way the culture has kind of taught us to think as we come to our Bibles. Okay, so that's just men and women in the culture giving you a little bit of background for some of the stuff that has informed my thinking in this. The next one is men and women in the Bible, point number two. Uh, Three things I wanted to kind of point out under this. The first, men and women in the Bible are considered equal before God. They are equal in value. They're equal in dignity. They, they are equal in worth. Um, mankind was made not as the preeminent animal, but as the very image of God on earth. We're not the most evolved animal kind of up from below. Uh, we are those made in the image of God from above. To mankind alone has God entrusted his image And when God decided, let us make man in our own image, he said in the verse I gave you on your notes, Genesis 1, 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so it was insufficient for God in imaging himself to only make men. That would not be a full image. And in the same way, it was insufficient to only make women. He made us male and female that together in our equal and complementary way of being made that we would fully uh, image him as he uh, desired. I think our culture, for the most part, has really latched onto this, and that's good. that's That's a good thing. Uh, What you can see is the outworkings of Christianity 
um, even in a post-Christian culture, that desire this sense that men and women are, are of equal worth, dignity, and value. Uh, the second point here, though, is where the Scriptures and the culture head in different directions. There are differing roles for men and women throughout Scripture. So differing roles because God made men and women differently with different strengths, different weaknesses, such that we complement each other. Uh, The view, this view, if you haven't heard of it, is called complementarian. And that speaks to the idea that we are complements that men and women are uniquely fitted for each other to complement each other and to together image God in a way we can't do uh, if there were only one or the other of us. So there are differing roles for men and women in Scripture. Two places where Scripture is really clear on this and where we need to be really clear on it, and that is in the home and in the church. In these two places, the Scripture gives specific outworkings of how do these differences uh, play out? How should they play out in the home? How should they play out in the church? So Ephesians 5, through 24 speaks of these differing roles within the home. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then it goes on, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so there's a leadership role assigned to the husband in a home and in a marriage. I I, I want you to see, one, that's clear in the text. That's, That's here, that there is a leadership role for the husband. Of course, the husband is then spoken to with Uh, I would say, extremely bracing words. Husbands, love your wives. How? Oh, I don't know. Just as Jesus loved the church. The picture there is a selfless, sacrificial, not self-interested, not for my good, but for yours kind of leadership. That's That's what husbands are called for. So that's clear, but I also want to point out what's definitely not said. Wives, submit to your own husbands. This is not establishing a a worldwide pecking order between men and women. It does not say women submit to men. It does not say all wives submit to all husbands. There is a unique relationship established between a husband and a wife where the husband is called to lead as as a servant in protecting and caring for his wife and she to following him and him alone. And so outside of that relationship, there's not this difference in um, hierarchy, as has so often been the case in secular societies all over the world, and even in Christian societies that haven't been living up to the Word of God, right? So um, church is to... uh, Wives submit to your husbands within a marriage. So there's two different roles within a marriage. Uh, The next one in the church. And this one, we're going to start getting close to deacons. And by the way, there's a little more that I could say about marriage than I'm going to say right now, all right? You understand where we're going as deacons, and what I want to do is give some of the 
big picture background on some of these things. We're going to take a lot more time to talk through what does it mean to be complementarian? What is that viewpoint when we, when we renew our um, every square inch in January? Okay, so we're going to have time for that and some other good topics in, in January. Um, okay, so uh, there is also a calling for men to lead in the local church. And we can see this in 1 Timothy 2.12, where Paul writes, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So two things that Paul specifically forbids that I will say, Paul wrote it, but let me say it the other way, that God specifically forbids, right? Teaching and exercising authority over a man. All right, so let's think about what that means. So um, if, you've, if you've got your Bible, open it up to 1 Timothy and look at verse chapter 2, verse 12, all right? So there's two things that Paul forbids here. It seems to be teaching men and exercise authority over men, which means that women are not forbidden to teach each other, to teach kids within the local church. Those teaching roles are wide open. Um, but there's also, there's the, so there's a kind of corporate teaching role that is forbidden, and there's also the exercising of authority. If you're there in 1 Timothy 2, you can see that we're right at the end of that chapter. Look at the top of the next chapter. We're like, what, three verses, four verses away from the top of the next chapter? And what does Paul begin to talk about? elders, right? And so what he's, what he's doing here is he's setting up the background for saying elders in the local church, pastors, elders, overseers is the word used there. It's all one office, is to be by qualified, gifted men in the local church. This is by God's, by God's design. So, and we, we, we know that one, Paul put it right there, right after what he was saying, he put the, the elders section uh, but two, we know because we've spent some time together on this a couple weeks ago, what are elders called to do? Well, one of the, two of the big things is lead the local church and teach the local church. And given that that's the role and that those things are, are forbidden, then uh, women are not called to be elders. Okay, if you've been here any length of time, you are familiar that this is what we believe and have believed since the church got started, Right? Uh, but I know that some haven't been here that long, and if you're coming right in out of the culture, this is like a cold, bracing wind coming right out of the, the culture because of how different the current of Scripture runs from the current of our age and of our culture as we talk about these things. Okay, but the question is then, given this complementarian view, can women serve as deacons? And that's really what we, what we want to address today. And um, so the third point here under men and women in the Bible is equally called to serve Christ, but in different ways. Okay? So men and women both are equally called. There's a, when Christ calls you to himself, he calls you to himself. He calls both men and women to follow him and then to be about serving him with all of their heart and soul and mind and strength. And so it is important as a local church 
that we enable everyone to be about doing that in God-honoring ways, right? So we're gonna, we would say, well, there's some differences within the local church uh, that men and women have slightly different roles, uh, but, we're, but we're both called to serve with all of our hearts. So Ephesians 4, verse 15 and on, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, now this is where, you know, where he starts talking about this body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What I see here is the importance of each part in the body fulfilling what God's called them to do. And where perhaps historically the church has erred is in forbidding too much and not celebrating the women of the church doing what God's called them to do. Both men and women are needed in the local church in order for the body to get built up in love because it takes every part to do that. Okay, now getting close well, we're here to the, to the deacon question. It seems as though there is a reference in Scripture to a woman serving as a deacon. Now, I'm going to say, it seems as though, because it's not entirely clear. If you recall from last week, the word for deacon, diakonos in the Greek, simply means servant. And so it's used all over the place, just meaning servant, not really meaning the office of deacon. And so the question is, what did Paul intend in Romans 16.1? And I've got that there for you, where he writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon or servant of the church at Sincrea. So that's that's the reference. If, if, there's, if that's a reference to a female deacon, then, then that's the one in, in Scripture. People go back and forth on this. I've gone back and forth on this, you know? Um, you could say, well, he's just talking about a servant in the church. He's not, he's not trying to say she was a deacon. But I lean the other way now. I think he was trying to say she's a deacon. Because he's writing to the Romans, right? It's the book of Romans about another church, and he's commending one woman in particular to them as a, we'll use the word servant, servant of the church. That sounds to me very much like a title. He's giving her title to them, and I believe that the title he meant to give was that she was a deacon of the church in Sincrea, and so um, received the commendation about her. Admittedly, I think it's hard. You can't build a whole theology off that verse because of the squishiness of the word that we're talking about. Deacon, servant, deacon, servant. But I'm telling you where I'm at. I lean towards that he was talking about the office. All right. We're going to spend most of our time in the scriptures in, in number three here uh, because number three is from 1 Timothy chapter three. If you had your Bible open, keep it open to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, where it had the section at the beginning about elders and then begins to talk about deacons. I'm going to be reading out of the 
ESV and uh, English Standard Version. You might have a different version in front of you. I'm going to read the text, and we're going to comment on it together. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. God's Word. So as I read that, you, if you were paying attention to gendered language, are probably a bit dubious right now. Ken, why are we having women deacons? It sounded pretty clear to me. Uh, it's got text of husband of one wife, and it talks about their wives must be this way. It sounds like deacons should be men. So I want to unpack this in more detail than I would typically do, uh, but what I'm kind of letting you in on is the elders' Bible study that we've had on this. And we've got to kind of get to this level if we're going to see it together. So the first thing, verse 11 is the linchpin verse on this, where it says, again in the ESV, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. The first thing you should know is that the word wives there is the Greek word gunaikos. And I've got that there in your notes, gunaikos. Gunaikos means wives or women depending on the context. So in Greek, you don't have two different words. You've got one word. And so depending on the context, that might mean wives or that might mean women. So how do, how do we know which one it should be? Well, the ESV, how, okay, how are Bible translations done? So I love the ESV. Um, obviously, that's the one we, we preach out of, we use all the time. Um, I love it because the team of people that came together to do that translation, uh, I believe they had the right thing in mind as they did it. I believe they're saved people. I know that sounds funny, but there's a whole lot of people trying to tw twist the scriptures into saying all kinds of things. It helps that you believe them as you're working your way through them. All right? So I think they've done a great job. Yet at the end of the day, the word of God is infallible. Translations are not. Translations are a group, a bunch of decisions made by human beings trying to get the infallible word of God from one culture and language into another, okay? So I'm not trying to diminish your trust in the word of God. Trust the word of God, okay? Uh, but recognize that if you're not reading the Greek for the New Testament, you're reading a group of people's best attempt to tell you what it meant, all right? And we've got a language gap we've got to get across. And so a group of people had to decide as they read Paul's use of the word gynaikos, did he mean wives or did he mean women? All right? Now, if you're reading your ESV, you might have next to the word wives a little number. Do you? Anybody got that little number there? 
which points you to a footnote at the bottom of your Bible. Um, and whenever that's in there, what that means is that, that there was division on the translation committee. The majority opinion made it into the text. The minority opinion made it into the notes at the bottom. And so my ESV, and I think yours probably too, has a note at the bottom saying women rather than wives. So there was uh, disagreement even on the ESV committee on how this should be translated. And then if you look at the NIV, in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, or the King James Version, even so their wives must be grave. But the New American Standard says women must likewise be dignified, and the uh, American Standard says women in like manner must be grave. So I'm just trying to say different translation committees have handled this differently as we've moved along. And so it is not as clean cut of a case as you would think as you first read your ESV, all right? The second, when it says uh, their wives, um, that was an addition. The word there was added by the translating committee to make it make sense. This happens all the time. It can't be word for word because like one word in Greek will mean four words in English and one word in English could be four words in Greek. You can't just go word to word. So they added the word there. So it doesn't in the Greek say their wives. It just says wives or women. It's all that it says, all right? All right, so if we, if we change that from their wives to women, it would just say women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. I believe that's what was intended, and I believe that this verse is giving specific instructions to female deacons. Here's what women deacons need to be about, okay? Um, so I'm going to skip a couple of my points. I'm going to come back to them, but look with me at the structure, if you will. I made it color-coded for you because I think it's a little complicated, all right? But I want to take that same paragraph that we just read and think about it. The structure of the argument really matters. What I believe Paul is doing in verses 8 through 10 is giving instructions for all deacons. Then in verse 11, he's giving instructions for women deacons. And then in verse 12, instructions for male deacons. And then in verse 13, general instructions. Again, closing on talking about all deacons. Does this, does this make sense? It would be helpful if our Bibles had, you know, paragraph indentations, but even the paragraph indentations are translation decisions. Huh? So, you know, depending on how you read it, you're gonna you're gonna change the paragraphs. So here's here's what I think Paul is doing. I think he gives us an opening salvo about deacons. In eight through ten, this is for men and women, for all deacons. Deacons likewise must be dignified not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. All right, all deacons need to be under that verse. Then women that want to serve as deacons must likewise be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded and faithful in all things. Then men specifically that serve as deacons in verse 12 must each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. And then finally in verse 13, he brings it back together with a closing. Here's a reward to all deacons, men or women, 
For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Okay. Do you see it? What I've kind of broken down there? Okay. I've taken some extra time with this text because, um, and I'll just say, it's with some frequency that I have to wrestle with the ESV and decide as a pastor, am I going to bring up where I see it maybe needs a little tweak or am I not going to bring that up? And most of the time, I don't bring it up because I want to build your faith in the word that you're reading. I don't want you to be reading, and you shouldn't be reading. Wonder, oh, I wonder if this one is translated right. I wonder if this one is translated right. Like, that, 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 is, uh, that is unhelpful for our faith and, frankly, unnecessary. There's more scholarship around English translations than any other language in the world, aside from the original, right? So, um, so I, I don't want to often do this, but it seemed to me, if I'm going to stand up here in front of the church and say, we're going to allow women deacons, uh, I've got to help you see what I'm seeing. Because I think 1 Timothy is actually for having women deacons and that this is the uh, way that it goes. Here's a couple other um, subpoints. Do you see where it says sober-minded? So verse 11, women likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. I, I wonder why they that women need to be sober-minded if all we're talking about is the wives of deacons. So if this we're talking about deacons' wives on the other side, and you know women can't be deacons, but they can be deacons' wives, why do they need to be sober-minded? To me, the sober-minded comes in in the performance of their duties as women deacons in the church, that they need to be sober-minded, they need to be thinking carefully about the role that God's given them within the local church. The other thing that, that seems very strange, if you were to read the whole of the chapter, so verses 1 through 7 are all about elders, and then below that is all about deacons, right? So elders are called to a lot in a local church. They're called to lead and to protect. They're, they're called to teach I wonder why there's a section that gives specific qualifications for deacons' wives, but none for elders' wives. There's nothing in the section on elders about their wives. And I find that to be uh, hard to explain if you think that women can't be deacons. Uh, because I, I don't know why there would need to be script inscripturated Actual qualifications for the wife of a deacon, but no qualifications for the wife of an elder. In fact, what I see is that Paul said back in chapter 2, verse 12, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. He goes from there right into the section on elders. And that's why women aren't talked about there, because it's, it's to the elders that are called to teach and exercise authority. And then he says, but the deacons likewise... And that word, likewise, shows up right there at the beginning. Deacons, likewise, shows up there. And then it shows up again in verse 11, women, likewise, and kind of pulls, pulls out that subparagraph for us to consider the specifics uh, requirements for women. Uh, so I believe that the uh, reason First Timothy uh, discusses 
the wives of deacons is that it's not talking about the wives of deacons. It's talking about female deacons in that section. Whew, there we go. And if you've hung on with me, good job. All right, so let's, let's turn to number four now. If you've got your outline, the next one says men and women deacons in church history. And I got to tell you, um, I needed this one. So uh, we have one authority as a church, as the church, and this is the word of God, right? It is the one authority. Protestants have done a good job of reestablishing the fact that the church has one authority, not two, right? Catholic tradition, you've got the authority of the word and the authority of church tradition and teaching, right? And they're held next to each other. Um, Protestants have said, no, sola scriptura, right? Scripture alone is our authority. That's good. But what we have tended to also do is to diminish any role for church tradition, any role for the wisdom of the previous generation to us, any role for the collective knowledge gained by the church over 2,000 years of studying the same book, right? And I think, uh, I think we are unwise if, if we imagine that we somehow uh, are the first generation of Christians or the first ones to read our Bible. So ladies, you're probably, uh, some, some of you are going through the book study right now, uh, Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly. Um, I began to read that book uh, this past week, and he has a fantastic quote in the opening of the book. We are neither the first nor the smartest to read our Bibles. That is a, that is a word of humility to the Protestant church, okay? We are neither the first nor the smartest to read our Bibles. Now, that doesn't mean at the end of the day, you got to hold to your conviction. What does God's word say? That's what I'm going to have to hold to. But we're, why, we're, 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 we're foolish if we just stop our ears to the voice of other brothers and sisters in Christ or to a previous generation that also read the same book. We want to weigh the collective wisdom of the church and then submit to God's word, right? All right, so here's what I've been worried about in all of this. Uh, I think I told you at the beginning, I, I don't want to get pushed along by our culture. I have for a long time thought, you know why there's women deacons in the American church? Because there's feminism in America. This isn't that hard to see, right? Like we've got this vast kind of cultural movement going on. Of course, it's going to make its way into the church in different ways. That's why there's deacons in some churches, and frankly, that's why we won't have them here. Then I started looking at church history, and I realized, oops, uh, actually, there's been women deacons on and off. I'm not going to say that church history has been conclusive one way or the other. It's been debated for 2,000 years, but it's been on and off for 2,000 years. Different cultures haven't had women deacons. Other cultures have had women deacons for 2,000 years years in the church. So Clement of Alexandria, writing in the uh, years of his life, somewhere around 150 AD, says this, we are also aware of all the things that the noble Paul prescribed on the subject of female deacons in one of the two epistles to Timothy. So here is a church father named Clement writing 
within a hundred years or so of when Paul wrote Timothy, and he thought Paul meant women deacons. That is very helpful for me. This is not a new argument. This is not a new position. This is something that the church has, at the very least, debated about for a long time. So that was, that was Clement writing in you know, roughly the year 200. And then John Chrysostom, a famous preacher in Constantinople, um, writing also about 1 Timothy. Um, and, and okay, before, before we read that quote, the debate back in his day was not whether Paul was talking about women or wives. That's what we're debating. They knew that he was talking about women. Their debate was, was he talking about women who are deacons or all women? Yeah? But he just, they just assumed that Paul was talking about women, and so he argues that he was talking about women deacons. Some have thought that 1 Timothy 3.11 is said of women generally, but it's not so. For why should Paul introduce anything about women to interfere with the subject? He is speaking of those who hold the rank of diaconess or deaconesses, um, so female deacons. Uh, origin of Alexandria, writing again around the year 200, referencing Romans 16.1 that I talked to you about. This, was that lady from that church, was she a deacon or just a servant? What was she? And he says, unapologetically, Romans 16.1 teaches two things. One, that there are women deacons in the church and that women who have given assistance to so many people and who by their good works deserve to be praised by the apostle ought to be accepted in the diaconate, which is to say ought to be accepted as deacons. This uh, next one is the earliest quote that we have. And it is, uh, it's a quote by a pagan Roman governor uh, as he's trying to put down Christian rebellions, what he imagines are Christian rebellions, as he's persecuting the church. Um, and this is what he writes to the emperor. Accordingly, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. But I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstition. When a Roman uh, pagan Governor says superstition. He means faith in Jesus Christ. And so, somehow, within 40 years of Paul's writing 1 Timothy, the church had women deacons. And they were being tortured because they were women deacons for the faith. Uh, that, is, that is loud to me as I think through just our place in history. And I, okay, you know what? At the very least, we're, we're free to make our best decision here about what does the text say and not feel like we're being pushed into it by the culture. John Calvin, though, uh, as he looked back over the history of the church, was confident deaconesses were appointed to perform a public ministry of the church toward the poor, to labor with all zeal, assiduity, and diligence in offices of charity. And then Charles Spurgeon gives a, his hope for today. And maybe I could say this is my hope as well. He says, It would be a great mercy if God gave us the privilege of having many sons who all preach the gospel and many daughters who are all eminent in the church as teachers, deaconesses, missionaries, and the like. He's got a fantastic view for a complementarian 
ministry within the local church. See how he maintained that, right? Okay, sons aspire to be elders or to anything else that God calls you to. And women may aspire to be deaconesses, teachers, missionaries, etc. Okay, so that's, that's our short view. And I'll, I'll just admit again that that was a biased view. You could find just as many views of, hey, nope, there's not, there shouldn't be women as deacons scattered throughout church history. But I do think the scales are roughly balanced, as best I can tell, trying to balance the scales of all of church history, okay? Uh, but it's at least a mixed bag, and I think it gives us permission, really, just what does the text say? Um, if you were, by the way, to study the history of, of Protestant missions over the last 300 years, you could not study the history of missions without studying the history of women taking the gospel all over the world. Uh, the history of missions is, a, is the history of complementarian ministry going forward. Men and women have been commissioned as deacons, as, as missionaries uh, from the earliest days of the Protestant missionary movement. Uh, if you're unaware, we have commissioned uh, both men and women as missionaries in our local church. All right. So why take all this time to talk this stuff through? I think it's a big deal when the eldership changes their their theology on anything. And so I wanted to take the time so that you could see, really, this is down to the, I didn't hold anything back. This is what we walked through. This is what we prayed about. This is what we considered. Um, you'll notice one thing we did not consider, which was pragmatically, what would be best for this church? We left that out. But what does the word say? How is the culture pushing us? What is church history help us with in terms of interpreting this book. That's what we thought about, not what would be pragmatically best, because honestly, I've never let, that, that's just, that has no place, has no place. What does God's word say? That's what we do. Pragmatism stops at the doors on things like this. If I were to allow pragmatism, it would be very quick to say, wow, God's given us a lot of gifted women in this church. Let's get them serving as deacons. That would be easy. All right, and that's why, you know, we just held that back. Um, <clears throat> so I wanted to give you just the opportunity. Hear how we kind of walked this through. Some of you maybe hadn't ever heard of complementarian relationships between men and women, so I wanted you to be able to hear that. Some of you have been with us for twelve years and are going, "Wait, my ESV Bible says that deacons should be the husband and one wife of one wife. How can we have female deacons?" You know. I wanted to show you as well. Uh, I wanted to give you the opportunity to say, listen, if, if this brought up questions, we'd love to talk about it. You know, I, I recognize trying to cover a lot of ground in one uh, talk here. Um, so questions are, are, are very welcome. Uh, would, love to, would love to hear them so that we can just walk together through this as we move forward. Um, but I'll tell you, I, maybe the last... Thing that I would want to just accentuate is I, I do, I, I have this vision for complementarian ministry within our church where, where qualified men are serving as elders, okay, and then qualified saints are doing the work of ministry, doing the work of ministry 
broadly said. And that for a second, forget gender for a second. That is one way that we are different. One of 10,000 ways that we are different, right? How does Christ build his body? By placing you within the body with the gifts he's given you to use those specific gifts for the good of the body around you. That's how he builds his body. And ladies, you should feel no inhibition whatsoever to using your gifts to the fullest within this local church. And guys, you should feel no inhibition whatsoever to using the gifts God's given you in this local church. I love the heart that Spurgeon had here. May God make it so that that there would be men and women throughout the body of Christ here at Mercy Hill serving as teachers, serving as counselors, serving as evangelists, serving each other as friends and as servants of one another, as worshipers of Jesus, as song leaders on the stage, as missionaries that go overseas, that every one of us would be about exercising hospitality in the way that we're gifted and walking in prayer and demonstrating patience with each other and protecting the unity of the church and worshiping the Father and studying the scriptures and building up the body of Christ. That's the vision that I I want you to see because I believe it's not just Spurgeon's, I think it's God's vision for the local church. And I'm gonna close by reading again Ephesians chapter four, that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen.